Hey y'all, welcome back to season one, The Texas Killing Fields, episode 29. I'm Morgan. And I'm Gretchen. Today we are bringing you an episode titled Lost in the Mist. We are going to start today's episode with a lady named Todd. So um, we kind of talked a while about whether or not we were going to even bring Tot's case um, to you. She, there's a lot going on with her case that doesn't necessarily fit the Texas killing field. Right. Um, and I, we brought you cases before that, that don't, but um, with her case, it just seemed like she was almost a little too out far side the, the, like an outlier, yeah, basically. Like an outlier. Yeah. But um, one of the things that kept happening is her case keeps getting mentioned over and over again when you're researching the Texas killing fields. So that was one of the decisions that um, kind of came forward in the decision to bring her case. But the other thing was, as you read about her and get to know about her, her story is just the story of a woman who was a fighter mm-hmm. and i just felt like it was important to bring you that case forward so um uh tot harriman or totsy as she sometimes was like to be called was i um of asian descent she's um 411 100 pounds she had been a fighter her entire life she was born in vietnam she was married in an arranged marriage at age 14. The marriage didn't work out. She struggled to support herself and her young son. So she moved to Saigon, started working as a seamstress and a maid. It was why she was in Saigon that she met her husband, husband Clinton. He was from the United States, working there as a merchant marine. They literally bumped into each other. So, and their story that is told by their family was that it was love at first sight. She doesn't speak English and he didn't speak Vietnamese. And so it's kind of this whole love story of them getting to know each other, you know, on that. So the couple spent time together in Saigon. This was before the war started, but Clinton had to leave once the war started. So he took their four-year-old daughter with him. Um, Tot stayed behind because she had to get back to her son. So she went to gather up her son. And as she's trying to come back to Saigon, she gets stuck by roadblocks. She spent 23 days in the jungle before ending up in Saigon, three days before Saigon fell. Okay. So just for maybe some of our listeners that might be younger or are not history buffs, like let's touch a little bit on you know, what Saigon is, like what? So from, so Saigon was the capital of Vietnam at the time, but um, was held strongly during the Vietnam War by the United States. And so when Vietnam falls and Saigon falls to the Vietnamese, which is, you know, the war basically of losing the war in Vietnam, um, you have so many people who are there who, um, were helping the Americans who were involved in the um, war effort there, who were employed by the United States. You have um, servicemen who had families, um, women who had children who were um, born from American soldiers. And so those 
people who were caught up in that, um, very much like what happens with us getting out, out of Afghanistan is they're targeted, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so the United States starts taking planes full of people out of Saigon in order to protect them. So she's basically trying to get to Saigon in order to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has a child who she's, he's Vietnamese. I mean, he's not, um, he's not American. He's not partial American. And so that that's tough for her. So she has a letter from, um, Clinton, which allows them to get on the last boat leaving Saigon at that time. And, um, and it was just, it's one of those stories of a woman who's just keeps trying and trying until that determination, she manages to make it onto that boat and leaves. So then the family reunites, um, they get together in the United States and move to Maine where they actually raise, um, the family. So she has, um, her son from the first marriage who Clinton adopts. She has her daughter and then they have another child after that. Todd became a homemaker at that point in time, but she still considered continued to fight for Vietnamese refuge refugees and um, people, you know, working in being a translator and working in different organizations at that time. When Clinton passes away, she moves to Florida. Um, she had lived by the water her entire life, so she wanted to be near the water. Um, then too. And then in 2001, she decides to move closer to her children. Two of them were living in the Texas area. And so she wanted to move closer to them and to her grandchildren. Um, So she began to look around Galveston County for a new home to purchase. It's July 12th, 2001, when 57 year old taught, she's, um, an older woman at this point in time, she has brown hair with gray streaks, dark eyes. She left her son around son's house uh, in League City or the Clear Lake area. Mm-hmm. So around 5 a.m., she was headed to Corpus Christi to look at property. She's supposed to meet up with friends of hers and stay the night at their house in Corpus Christi. And then she had appointments the next day to uh, look at real estate. She never made it to their place. And so pretty early on, you know, her children who would be in contact with her, you know, throughout the day, um, her phone calls were going to, to voicemail. They became very, very concerned. Um, her son always made sure that her car was in excellent working condition, had a full tank of gas. Um, so he's, he's concerned at this point. Um, Her car was a 1995 Lincoln Continental. It was an unusual color, a metallic pink or a metallic maroon. She had a personalized license plate that said Totsi on the rear of the car. And that would be a Florida license plate. So, and then on the front license plate, she had a Navy SEAL emblem and a bumper sticker on the car that said PJC. So as they're reporting her missing, as things are starting to happen, um, police get involved. They put out a couple of reports. They do get a couple of reports back of seeing that car in the Houston area. And one report comes back saying that it was driven by an African-American male. Law enforcement does uh, get a sketch artist, puts out a sketch of an African-American male. I've looked at this sketch. We can certainly try to put it out on um, the Facebook page there's not much detail there. You know, there's not anything that 
kind of sticks out to say, oh, okay, if you look at this sketch, you can definitely identify somebody. Um, so it's possible that maybe she drove off the road. You know, there are several bodies of water. It's also very, very possible that she was robbed. She was wearing several gold rings, had seven gold bracelets on one wrist, a gold necklace with a diamond pendant. She was also wearing uh, gold rim glasses. Her map, her route had been mapped out very clearly. Um, her children were aware of what her route was going to be, which was going to be along I-35. It's a less trafficked road, so she's not driving the major highways. She's driving more of a backcountry road. Like when I talked to you about it, I said, that's the route I would have taken. You said, no way. Uh, I'm trying to get there as fast as I can. Major, so, major highway for me. Um, I mean, unless there was going to be some kind of construction, which, which is possible, could have right. been happening at that time, too. I think she liked to avoid the higher trafficked areas. Mm -hmm. You know, she And so for me, if I was going to Corpus Christi, from here, I would probably take that because I would want to see the more scenic tour, the more backcountry where I could kind of pull off. And she was planning on pulling off and looking at different uh, areas for the possibility to build. She wanted to be a landlord. So she was looking for a property that she could make that happen. So I can see why you would want to be on something more than just the busy, high trafficked road. But we're still talking about July. And it's about what we decided a three and a half to four hour trip. Right. Um, so during that time, it's, we're not talking about an incredibly busy time, but there would have been traffic out there. You know, there would have been, uh, people going back and forth to the plants, which are all along that mm -hmm. area and the beaches, you know, and then going back and forth to the beaches, there are small towns that dot this area along the way. So I, I, Personally, I feel like if she'd driven off the road, she would have been spotted. But I also think that the car would have been spotted, too. I think so, too. I mean, just because it does have such distinct plates on it, a color, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you, you know, I mean, you've got to talk about it being relatively new. She could have come across as a target of robbery, like you suggested, you know. Um, but you would hate to think somebody was life was taken over some jewelry right but we've seen it before we've seen it before so i mean we've reported on it before so it's not i guess as unusual as we would like to think it is no. it's just sad but i i think somehow to me it just seems like her car would come up somewhere or be found somewhere now i mean I, right and when i was not from this area you know, I mean, I'm getting a little bit better at, at navigating, but for me, it's, it's sometimes difficult to navigate some of these highways and figure out quite what direction you're going. So I can see how you would accidentally get turned around and head into Houston. Oh, sure. And I mean, think about it too, with all the construction that's constantly going on. And even when we were looking at that map earlier, when we zoomed in there, did you see all those little construction pings that mm -hmm. were coming up on the map? Yeah. So we don't know if that's something that's always ongoing. Like they've been working on 45 for nine years now, mm -hmm. you know? So she, she could have been rerouted at that point, but with all that going on, when they, you know, shut down roads and then remake them, they don't mark them correctly right. here. Like you really can't see early morning or late at night, what lane of traffic you really should be in, you know? Right. And she's 
trying to go 35. So from Lake City, you're crossing into into Alvin, which we've talked about the location of where that is quite a bit. I think it is it is a possibility to get kind of looped around and head out the wrong direction to get on six and kind of head into the Houston area. One of the difficulties with this is that we don't have the information about where she, where this car was spotted in Houston, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know we have the report of an African-American male driving the car, but I always think you have to, you have to kind of, think, well, maybe it's possible that it wasn't, you know, you only get a quick glimpse of somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so she could have accidentally got turned around and, and headed out into the wrong direction, but you have no reports of her pulling over and asking for any assistance or, you know, um, and again, you don't have that car show up anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know there's chop shops and yeah. I mean, easily could have been painted over a new plate. Sure. Bam, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. You know, mm-hmm. and it's back out on the street. I mean, that's always the possibility too, mm-hmm. but then we're talking abduction homicide. So, I mean, yeah, but now you're talking, you're talking like 15 years later at this point in time, it's still that car hasn't shown up. So I go back to, is it possible that she drove off of, you know, you do have some larger areas where you're crossing some deeper bodies of water. Is it possible that something happened there and she drove off of one of those bodies of water? So, you know, but unfortunately we just don't have those answers, but this, this is one of those cases that I think, you know, if, if you ever knew somebody who showed up driving that type of vehicle, you know, and didn't really have an explanation of where it came from. Now's the time to come forward mm-hmm. with that information because Absolutely. that that vehicle really gives you probably the biggest answer. Here. Oh, sure. I think it would hold most of the answers. Mm-hmm. Like even if it was just recovered somewhere where right. it from. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. So hopefully we do get some answers on that. Um, our next case that we're going to bring you today is that of Sarah trustee. We do believe that her maiden name would have been Lewis. Yeah. So Sarah was a 23 year old girl living in Algoa, Texas, which is just right outside of Alvin. Um, she was small, Caucasian, blonde hair, five, five, 130 pounds, green eyes. So Sarah was married relatively early. Um, the marriage didn't work out. And so she had divorced in May of 2002. She had a five-year-old daughter really very shortly after her divorce is finalized. She remarries again. And it's a few weeks after that second marriage that on July 12th, 2002, she's last seen riding her bike at 11 PM around her home in Algoa. So as she's reported missing 36 hours after that last sighting on July um, 12th. So she's reported missing by her husband. Uh, who said that she didn't return home, that she was kind of known to go out and ride her bike and, you know, sometimes run late at night. Uh, They found her wallet inside a travel trailer at her home and her cell phone inside her home. Her bike was found inside the foyer of the Baptist church on Orange Street. 
she worked as a cleaning lady at the church and it is possible that she was working and maybe placed her bike inside however there one strange thing about this is reports say that that wasn't something that she would do you know she wasn't known to like pick up her bike and put it inside the church and actually i've been at a ton of different churches i just i don't know that that I mean, you're talking about a very rural area, so I don't know why she would put her bike inside the church. I, thinking what? That it would, you know, she's going to go in and clean and then, then it would be stolen? Unless it was raining, maybe. Maybe. Or, I mean, there was some other reason, but, I mean, why would you not just lay it up against the building or, you know, park it on the kickstand, right? right? Uh-huh. So that's kind of this one strange thing that, that leads to that. So she's reported missing. They put out, you know, the um, information for her, you know, looking for her. There's a lead that comes on early on in the investigation saying that she was seen getting inside a truck with a man in Texas City on the 12th. So this becomes very confusing because that report goes out. um, They say it's a possible sighting of her. And then later... And this is years later that they've come back and said, no, there was no sighting of her. That was somebody else. Um, But no real information about, you know, what, what really made that determination. Her body is found in Texas City near Skyline Drive on the rocks on the floodgates that separate Moses Lake from the Galveston Bay on the 28th of July, she was wearing the same clothes that she was wearing on the day that she had gone missing. So do we know if she was out there the entire two weeks? Like was her, do we have any reports like from the examiner or anything to say that she was exposed to the elements for that long? Or could it have been that she was held for a while and then put out there? So not that they released. Uh Um, With them saying that she was wearing the same clothes, the inferred um description that i'm getting is that she was probably uh out there for roughly about that Mm -hmm. amount of time because i'm just thinking in july it's awfully hot out there yeah you know so when you think about um, body decomposition now from it's a busy area moses lake into the galveston bay there in texas city so you have a lot of boat traffic in and out of that area um you have a lot of fishermen and stuff like that and you have all those fishing tournaments too that happen this time of year so so she probably was not on those rocks probably what what i'm guessing happened is that she had kind of floated up at that point in time and then caught on the rocks but they don't really release any information to tell you what the stage was of her body, of her remains. And so, you know, it's almost like a guessing game at this point. Mm-hmm. To me, I go back to that uh, report of Texas City of, you know, being inside of a truck or getting into a truck in Texas City. Because you have that report made before her body's discovered. And so... Yeah, it kind of gets, you know, pushed aside and maybe it wasn't, you know, quite the right report. But at the same time, I still wonder whether or not there was something there with that report. I I mean, I definitely think you have to consider all leads, Uh you know, and the timing on that. I would think that would be something that you would want to consider. So and again, we're looking at 15 years later um, here. No, 20 years later here. And so, and no leads whatsoever. 
um, on this. Yeah. So, you know, like when we were talking about this, I was like, you know, it's just to me, it's like she just got her divorce finalized. Mm -hmm. She remarries. Does that have something to do with it? I also go back to 36 hours too. Mm -hmm. But you don't know because I thought about that too. And I thought, well, but sometimes they make you wait that long. You know, he could have gone into the police station and said, my wife is missing, but it's not official until 36 hours later, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I thought about that too, and I said, ah, you know, I'm always quick to speculate on that, but... And and that's definitely a possibility, mm -hmm. but there's... And the other possibility with that is is this one too. People believe they can't report somebody missing for 24 yeah. hours. You know, people... Certainly. You know, there, there are a lot of cases where you'll hear, you know people will say, why didn't you report her missing earlier? You know, why'd you wait so long? And they'll be like, well, I thought I had to wait 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's a myth that's out there. And I think it's a good time to kind of try to clear that up. You can report somebody missing at any point in time. They, they can say to you, Hey, you know, we're not going to take this report until a little more time has gone by, but you can report somebody missing the moment you feel like they're missing. And, and you should, because especially in the cases of children, that, that is not true. Mm -hmm. They will not wait 24 hours if you have a child who's right. missing. Um, but in a case where somebody doesn't have a history of that, where it's really out of the norm, or something else is going on, law enforcement is not going to say to you, no, you have to wait 24 hours. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to be decided on a case-by-case -case basis. So right. I think it's important that the public know, but that could have been a possibility in his case too. You know, he yeah, could have thought I mean, that he had to And wait. I also get curious about that. Like, okay, maybe 36 hours with officials, right? But within that time frame, is he calling her parents? Is he calling her brother, sister, mother, whoever, mm -hmm. you know, where's the kid at, you know, at this time too? Like from what I do know, the kid was with the ex-husband. Her okay. child was with her ex-husband from, from the little bit that I've been able to uh -huh. pick up here. Um, it does seem like, you know, he, he did have the daughter at that point. So, uh -huh. um, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely question a little bit, you know, the bike ride at 11 PM at night, but at the same time, I'm not a big bike rider. Um, when you're talking about July in this area, the heat index is a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I know people who will mow their lawn at that time of night. Oh yeah. You just want to hurt them. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's a very good possibility that that was something too, you know, she would, ride her bike later at night because it was a lot cooler in order to do that. So I actually had a coworker once who I used to think was out of their mind, but she was an insomniac, right? And mm -hmm. she would literally get up and just like walk and walk and walk, trying to make her body physically tired. Yeah. So she would go to sleep. And that was here in Texas. And I'm right. like, that is so crazy to me, but, and unsafe is what I'm thinking naturally. Yeah. Right. And, um, but I mean, every, almost every night because well, she couldn't sleep and I thought, well, maybe that's sometimes where this is coming from, from people too, you know, you know, and we don't have a whole lot of information on like the possibility of other jobs either. Maybe she had other things that she did during the day. Maybe she used to work nights and so she would clean at night, or maybe that's when the church was empty. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's a very good possibility of riding your bike to the church to clean the church because that's when it's empty. Yeah. You know, that's when you can get in there and get it clean and you don't have office staff, you don't have other staff. And so that's the time when you can do that. Well, sometimes too, as a parent, that's your downtime when your kid's asleep too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's the case with her, but 
you know, I mean, it's, I would say not as uncommon as we think, you know? Right. But I mean, it's a very rural area out there. So the possibility, the amount of people who could have kind of come in contact with her at that church, I think are small. At the church? Sure. So, you know, and her bike is at the church. So I'm thinking that her bike ride at least ended up there. I don't think that somebody takes her off the bike and thinks, oh, this will throw police off. Let's drag her bike and put it inside no. this church. I think that she... Not unless it was somebody that knew her habits or something weird like right. that, you know? So. I don't know. That's another strange case. And so, again, this is a Texas City case. So we'll put the number out on the website. With They actually have a poster looking for information. So we'll put that out on our Facebook page, too. Um, contact the Texas City Police if you know anything about this case. It's, it's time to get this solved. You know, I mean, this is another child who has grown up not knowing yeah. what happened to her mother. This next case really is something I kind of struggled with even when we first started out on this journey. And it gets to me because it tugs in my heart because, you know, she's a 16-year-old girl and, you know, I have a daughter that's that age. And um, her name is Teresa Venegas. So Teresa Venegas was a 16-year-old girl. She was typical 16-year-old, like hanging out with her sister. They painted each other's nails, loved doing girly things. She was close to her brother. She loved spending time with her grandmother, Betty. She was very, from a very close-knit Hispanic family that misses her every day. On Halloween night, which is October 31st of 2006, she was going from friend's house to friend's house, visiting, you know, and enjoying the holiday. And so I think this is very typical of kind of the... 16 year old girls and 16, you know, the high school kids of that mm -hmm. age, you know, you're going to go out on Halloween, kind of meet up with your friends at this one place. You know, some friends might go to another place together. You're just going to travel a little bit in this small area of Dickinson, Texas, just kind of popping into these different neighborhoods. Well, and the funny thing about Texas, um, just through taking my kids sugar treating right. too, People literally hang out in their garages and their driveways on Halloween, passing out candy or talking to your neighbors. It's like a block party. Yeah. You know, essentially. So I was always like so enamored with that because it wasn't like that where I came from, right. you know, so it's definitely something celebrated. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, especially where I came from, you know, it was a lot colder. So you're like literally knocking on doors and then kind of moving on. But here it is like little block parties, mm -hmm. you know, you only really go to the houses that people have their garage open and somebody's sitting in their garage. You don't necessarily do as much of that knocking on the door trick or treat. Mm -hmm. You're traveling from one group of people who are sitting outside in the garage or in a pop-up tent or something like that in that area. And everybody's having, you know, some people are doing crawfish or, you know, other little boils and you're just going from place to place. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it makes total sense to me, you know, that she would be out kind of doing that same thing, picking up friends along the way and they'd be traveling. But the other thing that seemed to be going on at that time is that she had 
made contact with a young gentleman who's about three years older than her. I think he's actually 19 years old. Um, she met him on a website called dopehouserecords.com three months prior. And so it's a little strange because dopehouserecords.com is actually a website for a record label near downtown Houston, which is about an hour away from Dickinson. And the domain domain still belongs to them today. So apparently they meet on the website, they would chat on the website, um, and they're they're gonna meet up that night. The you know what, one thing there too is I'm like, how does that make sense? On a website, how are you meeting up? So I simply type it in, Google it, and the very first pop-up that comes up today on there is chat. Right. Where you can literally hit it and you're gonna live chat. Probably back in that time, it might have been something more on the like lines of MySpace or like a chat room. Maybe it was even live on the website. But I'm thinking that might be more feasible on mm -hmm. how they met on that line of like a website. Right. Does that make sense? Because a website to me is just information. So how are you meeting somebody on there, right? And the the bits of information that I'm seeing from this seem to that, you know, put a lot of emphasis on that meeting up on that uh, website, you know, and we're not saying that the website had anything to do right, with right. what happened to her or even this individual, but she does seem to be in contact with this individual um, over the phone at that point, whether or not that's text messages or calls back and forth. The, um, what I'm getting information is that she was, was calling to ask this person if they were coming to Dickinson. At some point in time, that seems to change from her trying to actually get a ride up to Abilene, Texas, which is about three hours away now. So, and, um, and meet up with, oh no, I'm sorry. Abilene's about six hours from Dickinson. So she's trying to get a ride from Dickinson to go to Abilene to meet up with this uh, young man. And so she's kind of going around to these different parties and these different places, kind of asking people if maybe they would be interested in going. Um, and that's kind of what, what has gone on for the night. Um, that sounds kind of weird to me though. How would, like, how do you go from, are you coming to see me and then want to get a ride six hours away? You I, know what I mean? Like that just seems so out of character almost. Some of the reports say that maybe, you know, she was just trying to like put it out there to try to get a ride because he had asked her to get a ride. She just wanted to put him, let him down easy that she couldn't get a ride. However, he, I don't know. He's not really making the effort to six hours though. I mean, I mean, that's not easy. Like, Hey, come but, pick me up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but again, we're not 16. And 16-year-old girls and 16-year-old boys sometimes get it in their head that this will be easy, <laughs> you know? But, I mean, this is this is six hours one way. <laughs> so yeah. it's six. I mean, you're talking a, quite a trip. Um, but what we do know is that she was seen at a party around 11. And then she was spotted at another party around 1230. So at up until then, she's pretty much making the rounds in Dickinson. Mm -hmm. um, friends saw her talking at the party around 11 to an older man. Um, nobody seemed to be able to identify him. They, um, 
but they said that it was doubtful that it was the person that she was trying to meet up with in Abilene because the man that they described was probably older than the age of 19. Now, a couple things here, though, especially in 2006, but at any point in time when you're meeting up with somebody on the Internet, they may say they're 19, but when they show up, they definitely could be a lot older. Absolutely. I'm not saying that this person actually showed up, but I don't think that I would cross them off the list just because this was an older man. These are a small community, and you have a bunch of people who cannot identify this person. So it does sound to me like this is a person who's from outside the community. Yeah, but outside the community could literally mean Texas City. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe not even Texas City because it is pretty dang close, but like Houston or, sure, you know, outlining cities. But mm. And then there's always the possibility that, you know, as she's making contact to try to meet up with this young gentleman, that she also had other contacts on you know, the, the same type of I chat. Mean, and it's totally possible that this guy, like you said, is impersonating the 16 year old that's six hours away and he's found out where she is and has totally shown up, you know, right. I mean, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. That's unfortunate. Right. But what we do know is that she never made it home that night. Her, pan her parents were concerned right away. They called the police and sadly her body was found two days later, face down in a field police never released that she had been raped, but her family publicly has stated that she was. What is known is that she was found with her pants down, um, her shirt pulled up, her shirt was torn, and she was strangled with her own belt around her neck. Her hair had been cut short. One thing that um, has been asked about in this case is DNA. Um, so... Publicly, the police have not necessarily said there's DNA, but it has come back around that there is DNA in this case. It's not through the police department. Again, this is through other sources kind of getting out through the um, sources closer to um, her group. And I can't tell you for sure if there is. Testing for DNA in 2006 was good, you know, could easily be compared to, to known offenders. Mm -hmm. Testing for DNA now is a whole lot better. And so, and evidence preservation in 2006 should have been pretty good. And so the hope is that it was preserved and that evidence could be looked at now that might give some better answers. But one of the things that sadly happens in here is that the police say that they used all the modern evidence. Uh, efforts to gather any evidence, to pick up anything. Um, but when her family went back to the field to have a vigil, they actually found in the field that there were her glasses and her hair clip. Now, do we know how long after it was from the time of discovery to the vigil? Like within a week? Uh, I think within 24 hours. Oh, they were out there that yeah. quick? Mm -hmm. so from body discovery to the vigil? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm surprised they were so, out there that quick. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, and so the police kind of, um, kind of poo poo this a little bit saying, well, you know, those, that type of inform those types, because they family gathers them and takes them mm -hmm. to police. Police are like, well, you know, but we don't believe that she was killed in the field. Come um, on. So, so because we don't believe she was killed there, we're not going to take that seriously. 
you know, and I don't know, again, this is, this is family members who are saying that's your friends of family members this, that are saying that that's the, the way that police reacted. I certainly, the sad thing about this is when you're, you know, when, it, when officers are going to be confronted with the fact that evidence got missed, they're going to be defensive probably. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh -huh. You know, um, but. And really they're just taking it like this could help. You know, yeah. they're just thinking this can help, you know, and they're I, like, oh, how dare you? So, but <laughs> the fact that they're saying that they don't believe that she was killed in this field, I actually don't know why and in any way, shape or form that you would, that that would be the case. I think she probably was killed in the field. I think she was too. You know? I mean, Teresa is 210 pounds. That would be a tough individual for one person to move. Everything else looks like that she's in that field. I just, I mean, it does, I mean, it does seem like it was opportunity. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take her to this field. I'm going to do what I want with her. I can kill her right here. I can leave all her stuff and I can walk away from this field. Right. I mean, because, and, and this sounds kind of messed up, but I'm going to say it anyways. If they drug her there because they're not lifting her, mm -hmm. I, I highly doubt they are. They would have to have some way to get her there. You're going to see those tracks two days later. And the reason I say this is because when I pushed you through my grass in your wheelchair, right. two days later, I could still wear, see where I push you through the, you know, and my grass is short. It's not like long. So there would be other evidence of that, I believe. You know, there would be some extra disturbance unless you have two people. The only question that I make on this, though, is whether or not part of the reason that law enforcement is saying that is is about the hair, that her hair was cut and whether or not her hair was found with her. We don't know that. We don't know that. We don't know. The hair cutting is a very strange thing, but it could be just one of those uh, like trophies type things. Too. It could be, you know. It could be. It's just hair cutting is, is a very common for that. Unless somebody also thought for some reason that would help not have as much evidence. I don't, I don't know why, but you know, I mean, so I have no clue other than, I mean, what's, what would be the, the point? It's like, if you don't, if you're trying to disguise who she is, you want to keep her so close to home. No, you know I think, what I yeah. mean? Like if you would, in my opinion, you would take her somewhere else. Her hair is cut short. She goes in as a Jane Doe, uh -huh. short hair. Well, that's not who they'd be looking for. Right. You know what I mean? The only other thing that I really have on this case too, is the very sad thing is when you look at Galveston County crime stoppers and you go through their open cases, this case doesn't actually show up. It doesn't. So this is a 2006 case. There are people out there who still have information on this case. This is not a case of, you know, 30, 40, you know, 50 years, 70 years ago. This is a relatively, I get, I get that it's 15, 16 years ago, 17 years ago now, but this is still relatively recent. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the technology, and one of the other things on here on technology is, you know, we listen to a lot of different cases and kind of um, listen to other podcasts. One of the things that we just found out is that cell phone records are still available. 
Yeah. You know, and so that to me, you know, you know that she's calling somebody, you know, that cell phone records, you know, they probably pulled those cell phone records at that point in time. You hope, but I mean, those can be looked at through a much better lens nowadays too, than what they would have been looked at all those years ago. But you're talking about a small police force, right? Yes. Okay. In one of the cases that we're listening to right now, the police in that county say they did not pull all the days and all the police record, I mean, phone records because what? Of money, Uh right? It may not have just been something they were willing to spend their resources on. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't really know. No. No, we don't. We, we you, don't. I mean, it makes you curious no. to know um, if they're still out there, like, maybe it's time to get them pulled. <laughs> what I what I would say is, to me, this case has the likelihood of being solved. Sure. You know, um, and I personally think this is a case that I'm going to submit to the Texas Cold Case Unit with the hope that maybe they will, will take a look at it. I know that you can kind of submit through an email cold cases to their unit. I don't know that they would be picked up as well as if law enforcement would submit it and ask for help. But at some point in time, somebody has to do something about this case. Too much time has gone by now. It needs to be looked at. This was a 16-year-old girl who didn't come home, who was doing things that every 16-year-old girl was doing out there that night. And, you know, that that her family deserves answers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, if not now, then when? How many more years do we wait on a case like this and not use everything within our possibility technology wise to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And if there's no DNA, then my question would be, have we, when was the last time the articles of clothing that were found with her, especially the belt was re-examined? Cause I would question whether or not that would have DNA on it. Somebody took oh, that belt, somebody took certain. that belt and put that belt around her neck. Mm-hmm. And, and we so, already know it's not easy to do that in gloves. Right. So, so those, those types of things need to be looked at. This case needs to be moved forward. So I would encourage anybody, anything you can possibly do to try to move this case forward. And it really needs to be out there on the Crime Stoppers website too. Mm -hmm. So this was a girl who had schoolmates that she went to school with. They have questions too. They may have information. And this is one of those things where police forces can't ask every single person. Mm -hmm. They don't know who it is that every single person who might have, should have been asked, should have been asked something. So my plea out there to the public is if you were out there that night and you came across her and you were talking to her, or if you were a friend with her and you came across and you knew what, you know, she's texting different people online in these different chat rooms and you know of anything or if possibly you came across somebody who fits the description of this person maybe in the chat room who might have been looking for something or other person in a chat room with this dope house records or something connected to that that might have kind of the same mo come forward sure and i mean it could just be some conversation you overheard in a bar because we do know that Mm-hmm. Those conversations solve cases. Yes. You know, so it's time. All right, guys. And with that, we are going to wrap up today's episode. But before we do so, we have a pretty exciting announcement to make. 
we have decided on season two. We have decided on season two. So a couple things here. Um, we are going to wrap up season one in the next couple of episodes. And um, just want to put it out there. If uh, somebody feels like we have you know, somebody else that we need to be reporting on with the Texas Killing Fields, please go ahead and contact us and let us know. We will continue to try to come back and update these cases at any point in time that there's any change in them and um, bring you any of those updates. And, but we're, we're getting to the part where we need to kind of uh, decide where we're going next. And so we have decided that we are going to cover another case that is, is very close by. Um, yeah, it's uh, right out, out of Pasadena, which we've uh, talked about many times on the podcast. And it is the, the Candyman. Candy so we're going to cover the Candyman uh, serial killer out of Pasadena, Texas. This case also brings us right back into the 70s. And um, so if anybody has any information that they want or if you are related or knew any of the victims in this case and are interested in uh, bringing that information forward or, or being a guest speaker on the podcast, we're certainly interested in talking to you. Please message us on our Facebook page. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you.